Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church. It is so good to see all of you. Tell somebody nearby you're glad to see them at Grace Church on a Sunday morning. And those joining us on Facebook Live and live stream, we're so glad you've chosen to be part of our service, and we pray that it'll be a blessing to you today. God bless you. Uh, just a couple of things to remind you of. Don't forget Tuesday morning prayer this coming Tuesday, 10 o'clock, right here in the sanctuary. Come out and pray, and God is going to do great things. We're also uh, in the course of our 21 days of sacrifice. Thank you for participating. Thank you for being a part of that. And don't, uh, that continues and will go all the way through March the 10th. And then finally, uh, we're announcing next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock is our annual church business meeting over in the Alexander Center. So mark that on your calendar and plan to come out to the annual business meeting. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with us this morning? Are you looking forward to what God is going to do in this place today? I've come to lift him up. I've come to praise him. Let's join together today and do that. Clap your hands to Jesus and shout with a voice of triumph. Just 
worship you today, God. You are worthy of it all. We praise your holy name, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. You are worthy of our highest praise today, Jesus. a little bit on the weekend. If you have been here, you know that our sessions with Dr. Cooper have been absolutely powerful and that God has invaded every one of those. And yesterday at the conclusion of the second session, I was talking with somebody and the subject came up that so many people are feeling so weary right now, weary in their spirit, feeling weary with well-doing, not that anybody wants to backslide and do things that are wrong, but you just feel weary and tired, and that we're weary of being weary, and we encouraged each other yesterday, and I was reminded, I reminded myself that there is such power in the name of Jesus. It sounds so common to us because we say it often, but if you find yourself in a different headspace and you say those things to yourself, that there is power in his name. He is so big that we cannot comprehend the size of who he is. He is in charge of all things. Nothing has happened on this earth that has caught him by surprise. And when we catch ourselves in the middle of feeling weary and tired, and maybe we've been praying for someone, a friend, a loved one, whomever that may be, and we hear that, they just keep drifting further and further away. And now they're saying these things. And now they're doing these things. And now they're going to these places. It kind of feels like in that moment you just say, well, what's the point? I keep praying for them. But it's in that admission that I was convicted that God spoke to me. Who do you think I am? Do you think that what they're doing or what they're saying is bigger than me, is more than I can help them to overcome. Casey, you're wrong. He is greater than all things. And I, and I told this friend yesterday, I said, I'm tired of feeling this way. And I'm to the point, I'm just going to approach it with an I don't care mentality. When I hear of someone maybe I've been praying for wanting to move in closer to God, well, they said this, they're professing this. They've walked away in this kind of way. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about what they say. I don't care about what they do. Of course I care, but you understand what I'm saying. I don't care. That's not going to hinder me. It's not going to set me back because I'm going to remind myself that God is greater than anything that anybody can profess. He is greater than any level of falling away from Him. He can overcome any of that with the power of His name. As we sing this next song, I want that to be our prayer today. It's going to be my prayer today that we are going to remember just how powerful his name is. I will not be discouraged by this world or the things of this world. I'm going to remember where the power comes from and I am an overcomer and so are you in the name of Jesus. Will you sing this today with us? Let it be your prayer today. Speak those words into the atmosphere.
someone's house. He ministered to people in their house. He was worshipped in their house. He was believed in in their house. Jesus showed that he didn't have to be out on a hillside. He didn't have to be 
in a synagogue somewhere where there was hunger and desire. The presence of God met that hunger and desire even to the raising of the dead. And I want to submit to you this morning, and I feel very passionate about this, very strongly about it. Jesus is in this house. He is in this house. We know that. We feel his presence. Praise the Lord. I believe that you can even see a manifestation of the presence of God in that so many people across the building are worshiping him. People have tears streaming down their face. Others are speaking in tongues. There's, there's all kinds of expressions of worship that are being manifested here today. And it tells me that's happening because he's here. And that's what happens when Jesus comes into our house today. Praise the Lord. So the woman that broke the alabaster box worshipped him. And that odor, that fragrance went all throughout that house. Then he went and healed the little girl that had passed away. He went to that person's house and resurrected her from the dead. Jesus was not intimidated nor scared away by the needs, the nature of the needs. It didn't matter. When people had a need, he showed up and he was prepared for it. He ministered to the crowd, but he also ministered to the individual. He's here to do that today. There's people here today I want you to understand. God's not here today for someone else. He's not here just for the crowd. He's here because you're here and your need, your faith in him is going to bring him to you today. And I believe there's people going to walk out of here changed. You're going to walk out here delivered. There's things that's bothered you for a long time. It's going to go away because he's here. Because he's here. Thank the Lord. Remain standing as you return to your seats. Thank you so much. Along with Brother Dave, we welcome all of our guests here today. We welcome uh, those of you watching on live stream, on Facebook Live, and so on. Thank you so very much for being here today. And uh, as Casey mentioned a few moments ago, this past weekend has absolutely been phenomenal. I'll make this short. I know you've been standing for a long time. But as I like to say sometimes, when you've been standing for a long time, you really enjoy it when you get to sit down. And uh, so, But I'll be very brief here today. This weekend has been absolutely powerful. Friday night, Saturday, and now today. I want to take a moment and thank everybody. Uh, Brad and Fallon, they put together a team that provided an outstanding meal Friday night. Thank the Lord. Thank you all for that so very much. And uh, what they don't know is we're going to do that again this coming Friday night. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, but it was absolutely amazing, and I'm, I'm happy to report that uh, we have close, I think it's around 75, something like that, one or two more or less that are a part of our leadership team here at Grace Church. And that's adult people. That does not include our JV team, which is as strong in leadership as uh, our adult people are. But uh, thank God for our leadership team. Yesterday was amazing. Mighty move of God at the very end. And uh, God has chosen a vehicle through which all of this can happen. And it's Dr. Rhea Cooper. Uh, she has such a wonderful, wonderful demeanor about her and such a sweet, sweet spirit. And I've commented to several people yesterday as she has found 
that perfect balance between clinical things and biblical things and merges them together beautifully to where you're not here for a, a mental session or something like that. She takes the mental part of her education, blends it with scripture, and at the end you see that it becomes very, very spiritual. And I'm very thankful for that. God has called her, raised her up, and has called out of her a very unique ministry and one that is so desperately needed in the church today. Would you welcome Dr. Rhea Cooper as she comes to speak to us? I feel such a sweet presence of God. And I was standing over there and I was like, God, help me to kind of contain myself because I just felt like I was basking in his presence. And that's why we're here. We're not here for a bunch of knowledge or information. We're here to meet the King of Kings. That's where healing happens. And when I was praying just now, God told me, he said, Rhea, the word that I want you to give them, and he sprung it on me, he said, renewed. And I said, God, what, what does that mean in the context of what you want me to give to them? And he said, I've already renewed their mind. I've already re renewed their body, their relationships, their spirit, those that came heavy burden, those that have come weary. He's already given you the healing. Now our job is to walk into that healing. So as we're speaking and talking today, I want you to imagine the things that you came in here asking God for is already happened in the supernatural, and we're going to bring it down in the natural state. I want to acknowledge that there has been so many wonderful people that have made an impact even on me this weekend, from young people to uh, more wise people, older people, <laughs> and somewhere in, the, in between, but from prayer calls to kind words, you have ministered to me with your kindness and your love. This is a church of excellence. That's what I keep repeating. It's excellence when it comes to serving, but excellence when it comes to engaging with people. And I credit that to your pastor as well. What I want us to do is to read the scripture verse of 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. That's going to be the passage by which I'm going to integrate my whole message. And it says, so I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness, I endure mistreatment. When I am surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. And before you're seated, I want you just to lift your hands. And these are the words that I'm asking you to say out loud. I release my pain and I step into victory. In Jesus' name right now, we release every pain, we release every stronghold. In the name of Jesus, we loose those out of our lives. We loose out the depression, the anxiety, the physical pain, the relationship disturbances. And we know that you've already renewed us, so we have to walk in that. I pray that you protect each mind, that you comfort them, that you sit next to every individual in this place and whisper words of peace to them tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. So I know that this is going to be a topic that a lot of times we don't talk about in church settings. It's a topic of depression. And the title of my message is going to be The Testimony of Scars. And I believe we're doing a disservice by not calling out certain things that are attacking the community, but it's also attacking churches. And I want to give you a little bit of clinical information, and I'm going to tie it in spiritually and biblically. But there's been some stats that I want to tell you about. It says approximately 280 million people in the world have been diagnosed with depression. That baffled me when I saw it. 
280 million, and those are just the people that have gone and sought treatment. More than 700,000 people die to suicide every year. And although there are known effective treatments for mental disorders, more than 75% of people do not receive treatment. So there's treatment out there, highly effective treatment, but people are still living in bondage and feeling like there's no answer and no hope. When the scripture in 2 Corinthians talks about a portal, my mentor, Sister Jennifer Cobb, who's amazing, she's taught me so many things on spiritual warfare. She said, Rhea, when I was going through a hard time, she said, Rhea, your pain is a portal to God's presence. And so often what happens is when we're walking in, in turmoil, whether it's our mind, our body, and our spirit, we think that that disqualifies us from the presence of God. And if I can be a little bit imaginative with you, you know those movies where they have almost like this, the superhero movies where they have like a portal that opens up and they step in and they're transported to somewhere else. And when I began to think about it, and God's so patient with me, I was like, God, that's kind of what happens, right? And he said, if it is by your choice. So we can step into that portal and it can be the portal to the enemy or portal to stay in the pain or we can step through the portal of God and into his throne room. And what that means is that pain becomes something that attaches you to God and you're transported into the throne room of the king of kings. Your pain is not for nothing. Some symptoms of depression, because a lot of times people are like, Ray, I don't even know if I'm struggling with this or not. It can show up in so many different ways, so I don't want to pigeonhole us to just certain symptoms. But some of the more common ones that you see is a lot of physical pain, back pain, neck pain. Almost it feels like you're moving in slow motion. A lot of times people describe that. It may mean that you feel hopeless, that you struggle to concentrate. And a lot of times it's a loss of interest in the things that once brought you joy. And then it can lead to suicidal ideation. One person described depression as this. They said, Depression feels like I'm in a black and white world and the rest of the world is in color because it starts taking the joy and the vibrancy of life away. Some call it feeling like shackles or being weighed down. And it can come through genetic components. It can come through hormone imbalances. It can come through trauma or it can come through a spiritual attack. So there's so many different causes, but I want to talk about ways that we can step out of that. Because even if that's something that you've walked in today feeling, that doesn't mean that you have to walk out with the depression. Sometimes people tell me, they're like, Rhea, depression is a new thing in our world. And I'm like, no, we can kind of trace it back to even Bible days. And we don't necessarily call it depression in the Bible, but we can see it through the lenses of oppression. We see David in Psalms, he wrote of fear and grief over losing his children. And he also felt extreme shame for continuing to commit different sins. But we learn from David to be honest with our weaknesses and to keep dancing despite grief and pain. Job, he would be the recipe for struggles with depression. I mean, look at all the things that Job went through. He lost everything. But you know what he did? He held on to integrity. He never forsook God and he never cursed God. Even when his family was telling you, turn your back on God, he refused to do that. Jeremiah, some of us know this, but he was called the weeping prophet. He suffered from rejection from his own people. He went through poverty, and he was even ridiculed on a common basis. But he teaches us that we must be obedient, and that can lead to peace, and it can lead to restoration. After losing her husband and two sons, Naomi slipped into profound sorrow. 
she was plagued by grief. And she was so afflicted that she even requested her name to be changed from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. But despite that, she had a moment with God, and she remained steadfast so that she could move generations to come into healing. And there's so many different people that we can name on this list of biblical characters. But I want you to realize that there is one thing that they all had in common, and it's that they understood the sovereignty of the Lord. They understood that he was supreme in their life. And the thing is, they didn't discount their pain. They grieved, they struggled, they felt the weight of what they were going through, but they continued to hold tight to the truth that God's plan is always perfect and he is worthy despite our pain. When God is sovereign in your life, before he asks anything of you, your response will be, here I am, Lord. It doesn't matter if he takes everything in your life, and we don't want that, but even if he did, you wouldn't curse him because he is your everything. And I want to explore one of the prophets a little bit more in depth, and it was the prophet of Elijah, and we know that he gained a great victory over Baal worship in the land of Israel. Queen, uh, Queen, not Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth, that would be interesting if she was way back when. Maybe her too, I don't know. <laughs> Queen Jezebel, correction, she sought to kill Elijah, and she hated that he, she had, he had completely humiliated her cult. And this once brave prophet became so frightened that he ran 123 miles through the length of Israel. I've never been that scared. I mean, it's impressive that he can run that far. But eventually he became exhausted and he became weary, and he fell under a juniper tree, and he asked God, God, take my life. He got to that point where he knew the faithfulness of God, but he still was suffering. And I want to stop here to say that there's a big difference between wanting to die, being suicidal, and wanting peace. And sometimes when people come into my office, I do an assessment, a suicide assessment, and when I ask them, I'm like, do you feel like it's that you're actively wanting to end your life, or are you wanting peace? And you can see the tears start pouring down their face. And they say, I've never even heard it like that. And it releases them from feeling like they're in suicide and more so to realize I'm just struggling with weariness. I'm struggling with constant battles. And we can work with either one, but it releases them of being in this box. God knew Elijah was physically exhausted. So you know what he did? He allowed Elijah to sleep. Sometimes we need to just sleep a little bit. I know that for sure. And he even sent an angel to give Elijah food and water. You know, it's interesting. God didn't send an angel to preach at Elijah. He sent the angel to comfort him. We can learn so much from that because some people need to be comforted in their wilderness versus preached at. If you jump the gun, yes, definitely. And I feel like if we jump the gun and we're automatically saying, well, you need to do this or you need to pray that way, or maybe you need to figure out why this is happening to you, we are missing the beauty of being connected to people in the same way that Jesus did. Sometimes the best thing you can do for someone is to sit with them in the emotion versus moving them into motion. You cannot neglect the emotion that they're going through because if you rush them, they will feel discounted, they will feel invalidated, and then they may assume that that's the way that God is treating them. We have to be intentional. God ministered to Elijah emotionally and spiritually in a gentle, small voice. And lastly, this voice of encouragement told Elijah that his life had meaning and that he was going to invest in the younger generation of Elijah. 
And when he was caught up in a whirlwind into heaven, he would join Enoch as one of the only two men in history that would not experience physical death. And I don't think that's an accident that he was given that privilege not to physically die because he remained faithful. And he didn't say, you know what, I'm not going through the storm. He said, God, I am struggling and I need you. We don't have to deny our pain. We just have to go to the author of the one that can heal our pain. The wilderness may have looked dark to Elijah, but it was really his blessing. Wilderness seasons give us a greater anointing. It gives us a greater empathy for people. And most importantly, it will teach you how to be truly dependent on God. We are so quick to ask God, God, remove the suffering versus God, give me the strength to endure the suffering. That's a whole different mentality. And it's normal, and it makes sense why we don't want to go through suffering. Nobody wants to go through tough times. And we can even see Jesus when he said, God, let this cup be taken from me. However, he said, Father, if it is in your will. And if we aren't careful, we will try to fast forward through trials, and we will miss knowing the character of our Father in the storm. There's something so beautiful. When you go through a trial, when you are at rock bottom, you feel the presence of God in a different way. And I can say it, and it's not a cliche thing, but I would never trade anything that I went through because it's made me empathetic. It's made me know how to put down pride and step into connection with God and people. Spiritual maturity will come in the way that you handle your level of suffering. Elroy means the God who sees me, the God who sees my pain, my affliction, and the thorn in your flesh does not keep you from God. It actually moves him nearer to us because when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. He fills it with us, and we know that God is everywhere all at the same time, but as, even as Pastor mentioned earlier, there's a difference when he manifests on us, when we feel that comfort, when we feel that peace, that healing, that's what's happening in our storms and in our pain. He is resting on us so that he covers us with protection. We must ask God to help us think like him. God, what are you trying to reveal to me in this suffering? We don't really ask that often. And when my mentor told me this, I was like, that's really, that's really trusting of God. To stop everything, to stop the pain and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do I need to learn from this trial? But what I began to realize is that when we ask God that, we understand that his character is not one of being abusive. He's not a cruel God. He is a purpose-driven God. And even if there's attack from the enemy, he creates purpose from the pain when we give him that pain. They're going to put a picture on the screen. And I love the story of this tree. It's the story of the myrrh tree. And for thousands of years, this beautiful tree has been used throughout history as a perfume and an incense and a medicine. Myrrh was one of the gifts of the three wise men when they brought him to Jesus. And later when Jesus was buried, his body was wrapped with a mixture of myrrh and oils to anoint his body for burial. And today research has found that these molecules actually help to fight off pain because it ignites something in the brain receptors. And to obtain the myrrh from this tree and the fragrance, what happens, and I feel like there's such a testimony in this in itself, the tree bark must be cut, it must be wounded, and it must be bruised. In fact, the harvester would say he is making the tree bleed. And guess what those drops of resins are called? 
They're called tears. Once the tree has been cut and the resin has begun to bleed, and once those trees have been harvested, you still don't even get the fullness of the beautiful aroma. Those drops of resin, those blood drops, and those tears have to harden. And then the aroma breaks free when those tears have been crushed. If I'm speaking honestly and vulnerably to you today, sometimes I have felt like that tree. I have been bruised and I've been wounded. Too many tears to count. I've gone through anxiety, depression, so many different forms of trauma. And there's been times where I've asked my harvester, why do I have to go through this cutting? Where are you when life is cutting me the deepest? And there's been times, if I am speaking honestly, that my tears have not been hardened in the way that God intended. I've had seasons of bitterness, mistrust, emotional numbness, being disconnected from my purpose and unable to see anything but trauma. All the while, my harvester was right there saying, Ray, I love you and I am with you in the storm. I want to ask you, what has cut you deepest in life? Is it the heart-wrenching pain of losing a loved one? Is it grief? Is it physical, sexual, emotional abuse that has tried to carve out your identity and your purpose? Is it divorce, lost dreams, abandonment, shame, betrayal, feeling like you're in a glass house ruled by perfectionism? Or is it mental and physical health issues that have left you wondering, will I ever gain my healing? Sometimes we may never fully understand the why in this lifetime. But we have to hold on to the truth that God always creates purpose from pain. It never is wasted. And Satan, he will try to deplete you. He will try to cause you to be weary in your walk with God. But when we allow God to take the crushing, he creates beauty from the brokenness. And what happens when we give him that pain, when we step through the portal, there's a beautiful aroma that goes forth. It is aroma of healing. It is aroma that can break generational curses. It's an aroma that can spearhead revival in our community and our churches just by you operating out of pain and operating in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to give you a few different strategies if you're taking notes. One of the most important strategies to combat depression is taking our thoughts captive. If I can give you maybe a little bit of a silly analogy, but it makes sense in my brain. Let's look at depression as almost a three-car train. The engine in our minds are our thinking. Secondly, the middle of the train is our behaviors, our actions, and the caboose is our emotions. So what happens with depression is oftentimes the order is very reverse. Our emotions, the end of the train, control our behavior, which leads to depressed feelings and depressed thinking. Undeniably, our feelings will lead us astray. That's just the nature of feelings because they lie to us. And we can't shame those emotions, but we also can't be ruled and listen to them all the time. But despite that, God's word will never leave you astray. That is why God's word never commands us to not feel our emotions. It doesn't say in one scripture, you can't have feelings. But what it does say is you have to obey the word of God despite your feelings. John 14 and 15. Defeating depression starts with refocusing our thoughts and not taking commands from our pain. And this involves knowing the scriptures and putting them in use. When the enemy comes in and he accuses you of things, if you don't know the word of God, you can't speak the scriptures out against him. We have to be very mindful because if we aren't careful, depression and emotional turmoil will turn into oppression. And we have to speak against the strongholds attacking our mind. 
I talked to some of you yesterday about the binding and loosing of my mentor, Sister Jennifer Cobbs. But I want to give you an example of how that's affected me. A few months ago, I woke up on a Monday, and I just felt off. I couldn't explain it. I just felt strange. And it first came as weariness, being fatigued and tired. And as the week got, went on, I started feeling sick in my body. By Friday, I felt I was li- like I was literally in slow motion. I felt sad. I felt mad and irritable. I was on edge. And by the end of that Friday, I was like, something is wrong with me. And I, God spoke to me, said, Rhea, that's the spirit of depression that's attacking you. And I was like, I'm a counselor. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> Sometimes it's sneaky. And he said, you need to take an offensive attack instead of a defensive approach with this. So this is what I did. And the depression came in the form of loneliness and weariness. This is what I did. I said out loud what I was going through. You know, I feel, I feel a little bit depressed right now. I feel anxious because I feel lonely in my life without having a partner. And I acknowledged the lie. The enemy came and he said, you know what? You're going to die alone. You're always going to be alone. This is your fate. And I said, this is a lie from the enemy. This is what he's telling me. And I used scriptures to speak against that lie. God is my comforter. He's my provider. He has never left me. The environment shows that he's protected me, even when my mind is saying I'm, I'm forsaken. And I did the binding and loosing. God, I bind my mind to you. I bind my heart to you. I loose the stronghold out. I loose the attack of the enemy. And you know what? If I can tell you the truth, I didn't feel any shift at that point until I started worshiping. Worship just puts this beautiful bow on it. And it changed my mindset to feel in stuck in the emotion and more so in tune with the presence of God. Because you can practice the clinical strategies and even the spiritual strategies, but if you're not changing your focus on the power of God's presence, you will always feel that leftover effect. Sometimes the journey of the scars is very painful, and we don't talk about it enough, but being in the will of God can sometimes feel like being exposed, or maybe sometimes it even feels like we're going in backwards motion. It was God who brought Elijah into the wilderness. However, he left with a greater anointing. And he was able to hear the voice of God so in tunely. It was Joseph who was given a promise as a boy. He never saw that promise come up to pass until he was later in his life. Yet the hand of God was on his life through it all, and he was used to save a nation. And I believe that if Joseph would have, was given that promise as a small boy with that dream, he probably wouldn't have had the maturity to handle and to have the wisdom to handle those things that were going to come later in his life. The second step is worship. If I can prove it to you clinically, that's the interesting thing about science. It even proves that worship is powerful. Worship is truly fascinating because the research behind worship shows that every morning we wake up with 300 million more brain cells. Even when you're telling your spouse or your kid, you don't even have any brain cells. That's not true. They've woken up with a lot more in the morning. (laughs) Let them rest. When we worship God, there is an increase in BPNF, which is a neurotransmitter that helps us grow healthy brain cells. It has been scientifically proven that seven minutes of worship a day changes your brain. This is researchers. This is not even Christian researchers. This is secular researchers. Worship impacts areas of the brain that increases empathy and understanding. It even changes glucose levels. It changes a fight-or-flight response just by worshiping. God gave you a built-in coping strategy, clinically, spiritually, emotionally, physically. When you worship, your body and your mind changes. 
And these findings have been so impressive to researchers that they are prescribing worship as clinical and physical treatment plans. And they may be saying worship any, anything, but we know that the truth is, is that when we worship the king of kings, something changes in the natural and the supernatural. And I want to acknowledge that when you're going through seasons of depression, sometimes worship is one of the most difficult things to do. There's been times where oppression had attacked me, and I went to lift my hands, and I felt like there was weights pulling my hands down. And a lot of times we stop and we say, okay, it's just, this is how it is. I'm just, I'm helpless at this point. We have to push through. And whatever it takes, whether if you need your partner, your friend, your church member to help you raise your arms to break out of that oppressive spirit, that is what we need to do. Worship will break down spiritual walls. Worship is a direct line to our Savior that we have unlimited access. They're going to put on the screen some other strategies. Some of these are clinical in nature. And you can take a picture if you want of it, or I can pass my notes along to Pastor. And I'm not going to go through all of them just for time purposes. But I want to point out a few of these. One of them is doing things that originally brought us joy. And depression, we don't feel like we feel any joy, so then we stop doing the things that used to bring us joy. Do the things even if you don't feel the emotion, and the emotion will follow suit. Physical activity, we don't want to move our body when we're depressed, but you need to move your body through exercise so that it releases those healthy chemicals in the brain. One of the hardest things to do when you're battling depression is to get out of bed. If you are able to convince yourself to get out of the bed and to move and start your day, then it starts to get a little bit easier to navigate through. Gratitude, boundaries, serving other people. When we are going through seasons of depression, we don't want to connect to anybody. And you have to do the opposite thing of what depression is telling you. So if it's telling you to disconnect, you need to connect. So it's like a cheat sheet. Whatever depression is telling you, do the opposite. Depression makes us go inward, and it makes us have a tunnel vision. But when we pray for other people, when we fast on other people's behalfs, something shifts, and we're able to have perspective outside of our struggles. Connection and removing shame, that's an essential strategy for combating depression. Because the thing is, the enemy will manipulate scriptures to use against us in depression. He knows the Bible. And the Bible says that the enemy accuses us day and night before the Lord. The enemy will tell you things like, the Bible says you have authority to tread upon serpents and all over the enemy, but you can't even get out of bed. What real authority do you have? He'll say you are God's anointed, but you battle with the same sin over and over again. He'll say you should have the joy of the Lord. Where is your joy now? Because all I see is sorrow. All I see is depression, weariness, anger, and anxiety. And from there, his constant accusations can cause us to start the process of accusing ourselves or others because it feels so familiar. And we won't even recognize the truth from the lie. We cannot allow the enemy to take dominion in our minds. And we cannot allow him to convince us to move us to, out of safe people. There's hope in Jesus because when we are obedient to him, when we give him our shame, he tears down every wrong narrative and accusation of the enemy. Revelation 12, 7 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, the enemy of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. 
part of where your healing is coming from is to be able to share your testimony. That breaks something up so that you can move out of the pain. One of the things that I'm going to talk about just for a few more moments is going to be the last thing is living beyond the scar. There's something in Japanese art called kintsugi. Again, I'm Southern, so there's a lot of things that I can't say well, so I apologize if I've messed that up. But essentially, in this art, they show putting pottery back together, and there's usually broken pieces. And they believe that scars, broken pieces, actually hold the most beautiful things. What they say is, in the process of repairing things that have been broken, we actually create something more beautiful, more unique, and resilient. Today in our world, we often don't see that broken things to be any, of any use. Oftentimes, a break is a reason to throw something away. And how many times has the enemy lied and shamed you into believing that your broken pieces serve no purpose? Instead of seeking help and support to be glued back together, we run from people. We isolate ourselves when the truth is we need safe people to overcome depression. The enemy is not only using mental health struggles to burn us out, he is trying to cause us to turn on ourselves. And I want to say this, what I'm going to talk about next is something that may be a little bit triggering for some, but I ask you just to bear with me because I believe that we're just going to come full circle. But this topic of self-harm has become something very common in today's world. Cutting, burning, uh, pulling even hair out. This concept of damaging our body. And I'll never forget, this young girl came to me one day and she said, as tears poured down her face, she was like, Ray, I have something to show you. And she raised the sleeves of her jacket, and her arms were covered with hundreds of scars, deep gashes. She looked at me with tears running down her face, and she said these words, Raya, who could possibly love me? These scars are so ugly. I'll never be able to get rid of them, and they will always be a visible reminder of what I did to myself. Who could see past these scars? And there was no adequate advice I could give to her. And there was no way to fix that pain. But I sat with her and I cried with her. And I told her at one point, I said, your scars, though reminders of how much pain you were in, are also proof that you chose to keep living. Your scars do not define you. They tell the story of your resiliency and there is a testimony in your scars. Someone needs to hear that today. It doesn't matter even if you've turned on yourself. God is still saying there's a testimony, there's a calling, and there's a purpose in your pain. And I began to ask God, why is this so prevalent in today's world? Why are our teens facing so many battles of this? Almost every teen I work with is struggling with this. And God spoke to me and he said, Rhea, the ultimate price was paid on Calvary. Jesus took the beating, the lashes, the wounds on his body so that no one would ever hold the weight of that pain. The enemy is causing my people to live in the crucifixion of themselves, staying dead in the tomb, trapped in pain and bondage, so they cannot breathe the power of my resurrection. And it keeps them stuck, it keeps them isolated, and in this continual pattern and cycle. And though some of us may not be able to relate to the concept of self-harm, we all have some scars that we have brought in this place today. It may be the scars of abuse. It may be emotionally beating ourselves up. It may be bitterness and unforgiveness. You thought you may have forgiven them, but you continue to bow, battle with that feeling of they did me wrong. I can't release it. It may be trauma or grief or family conflict. And we keep picking at the wounds over and over again, and it leaves them open, exposed, and prone to emotional infection. 
John 20 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples kept telling him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark made by the nails, and put my finger into the nail prints, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe it. And then Jesus visited Thomas, and he had a breakthrough moment. Here's the thing that you have to understand about scars. They are more than just proof of survival. Jesus' scars showed the proof of the resurrection, the healing, the victory, the conquering of sin in the grave. And what he's trying to reveal to us this morning is that our scars, the wounds and the turmoil that we went through cannot be our focus. When we are constantly reliving the past or fearing the future, we cannot begin the process of learning how to live beyond the wound. When Thomas saw the scars, he did not focus on Jesus' death. He didn't. His scars were not meant to define him. The purpose was to make him recognizable. Jesus allowed Thomas to touch those scars to show him proof that he lived beyond the pain and that death couldn't even hold him. And I want to ask you this question this morning. What do you want your life to show and reflect beyond the scars? Because what you do with your scars matter. And we can walk around shielding ourselves or blaming other people for the scars or feeling triggered constantly. Or we can stop the bitterness, we can stop the anxiety and the depression, and we can tap into our purpose. Our scars show the map of an emotional, physical, and spiritual sustainability of the Lord. And not only can scars reflect the goodness of God, they can serve as a connection to encourage other people. If you haven't been through a storm, it's really tough to be able to share the victory over someone else. They, we need relatability. But if we're, and I feel led to say this, if you are feeling like you're stuck in shame and that you can't admit what you've gone through because it's disturbing or it serves no purpose, that's a lie from the enemy. And I loose that lie in the name of Jesus right now. You have to speak so that you can step into your healing and you can step into healing for other people. And I want to be able to walk in purpose, to be vulnerable enough to let people come into contact with me and my story. And I want when someone sees or touches my scars for them to feel like they're touching the hands and feet of Jesus. Hear me when I say this morning that your scars do not disqualify you from the presence of God. It actually qualifies you because God can always use brokenness when we allow him to. If we can stand today, and musicians, if you don't mind coming to help me out. So often we go into the throne room of God, and in shame we hide from the Lord. We tell God, you can't possibly have a purpose for me. You can't use me because I'm tattered, I'm not whole, and I have these ugly scars. I have scars of addiction, trauma, grief, anger, even the mistakes that I've done to myself. Or sometimes we may be even angry at the Lord because we feel like he let those scars happen. And I imagine God coming up so gently and carefully to us. And as he points and he shows the wounds of what he went through, the representation of his sacrifice on Calvary, and with an understanding smile in his eyes and tears in his eyes, he says, I have scars too. And as he reaches out and we have finally allowed him to touch our wounds, he says, your scars hold your testimony. And I still see you as my most beloved and called creation. We often talk about how when we get to heaven, we want to hear the phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. That should be all what we thrive to hear. But what if God doesn't just say that? What if he says more? What if he gives an account of all the scars that you had, yet you continue to live for him? 
What if he said, I knew you were hurting and every day felt like a struggle, but you kept going and you walked into faith and purpose? What if he said, I know the loved one you lost gave gave a, a gaping hole in your heart, but you still called me good and faithful, God? I know the abuse left you feeling like damaged goods, but you chose to not let it define you. You battled physical pain and emotional turmoil. You fought what felt like nonstop attacks from the enemy. You may have visited the mountain, but you also felt like you mainly lived in the valley. You braved the wilderness. You endured the storms. Yet despite all of the wounds that turned into scars, you still chose to love people and you still chose to love me. And as he embraces you and welcomes you into heaven, that glorious day, you start to see those scars disappear. Whether it's physical scars, literal scars, or emotional scars, they disappear in heaven. And you are welcomed into the presence of the Lord. And today, I believe that he's calling us into a season where we will be compensated for all of the pain that we've gone through. He will give us a double portion for the pain. But our responsibility this morning is to be able to release the pain to him. And I know that we have done that Friday, Saturday, but you may not have been able to join us then. And I believe the same healing that happened for those people the last two days are the same healing that God has reserved for you this morning. And some of you may say, Ray, I felt like I got a breakthrough yesterday, and then today I fought again. I encourage you to step forward, to walk into the purpose, to walk into the vulnerability and say, God, I don't know what this looks like, but I release the scars because the scars will not define me any longer. So as we come, they're going to sing whatever it may look like in your own way, whether it's praying, whether it's worshiping. If you've already gotten your breakthrough, I believe you should be down here being able to worship God for the breakthrough. But we're going to kind of scan the aisles. And if you need prayer, I encourage you to come up and let's start that process of releasing the scars to God. coming for prayer, you can come to pray. Everybody come. Everybody come. In Jesus' name. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Everybody come. Everybody come. Come with an open heart. Come with an open mind. Somebody let the Spirit of the Lord work. Thank the Lord. Everybody talk to Jesus. Ministry team is going through the crowd today. Sister Ray is going through the crowd today. Let the Lord minister to you. Let the Lord minister to you.
everybody reach heaven with us, Lord, and everybody. Lord.